Hello and welcome to Pot Shot. I'm Alex Towles and I'm joined by, in the least surprising news that you've ever heard, the newest member of the Pot Shot crew, the first new member of the Pot Shot crew, Mr. Sebastian Hund. Hello, Seb. Hello, hello. New signings are always fun, isn't it? Absolutely. We've brought you in on a free to help us with the run-in, like, like we're a non-league team that don't have to worry about transfer windows. And it also means I don't have to keep writing feet Seb Hund on every episode that we do, because you've been on, like, what, three of the last four pot shots? I think so, yeah. Yeah, cool. So we might as well just, just make it official. He's here now. Doesn't need to worry about it. That doesn't mean he's going to be on every pod. You might get me and Seb. You might get Collings and Seb. You might still get just me and Collings. Sometimes, very rarely, when we're all available, you might get all three of us. But we'll see. Uh, it's... One of those things where Collings and I's joint availability isn't reliable enough between now and the end of the season to be able to carry on and it's just us two. And it's been fun having Seb on a few times in the last month. So we thought we might as well just keep bringing him on and make him make him a part of the team full-time in so much as you can be a full-time member of a team of people who talk about Arsenal on a podcast for an hour every week. So, today we're going to be talking about the West Ham game. 2-2 two, two in the end. We went 2-0 up inside the first 10 minutes, and then they scored twice to bring it back. Once just before half-time, once just after half-time. Sounds familiar? I know it sounds familiar. Uh, but it was a very different kind of going 2-0 up and then being pegged back to draw 2-all, in my opinion at least. Seb, would you agree with that? Somewhat, yeah. I, th- I think there is a similarity in the sense that the moments where we were in control um, somewhat were related to the amount of pressure the opposition team puts on us, right? Like, mm. West Ham were relatively aggressive by their standards um, for the first 10-15 minutes. Not really going hard into the man, but more trying to block off passing lanes, um, which we were able to play around their sort of first line relatively easily, which then led us to have some really good opportunities. Um, Then they sat back more, which allowed us to, you know, sort of just bobble the ball around the back for a good 20 minutes there before after their goal, they really started to come at us. Not in the same way Liverpool did because the way they attack and press is is quite different, but them becoming more proactive in the game definitely led to the game becoming more open and eventually leading to us playing a game that we're not 100% comfortable in, which then lasted until we decided we shouldn't do that anymore and uh, yeah. made changes. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, very fair. The uh, first 10 minutes... So I couldn't watch the game live. I watched it back last night. And, like, the first 10 minutes, I was like, wow, if the game carries on like... If the game carried on like that, we would have won, like, 10, 11, nil. 
They were, as you say, very aggressive in trying to push us up. Very aggressive from their mid-block as well once we got into their half. But all it did was open up lots of spaces that we could play into and play around. And we were very, very effective in doing so. As you say, West Ham then smartened up, pulled back a little bit. And I like I, I think they were still they still pushed hard in moments, but I think they chose their moments better. And they did yeah. a better job of identifying when was a good opportunity to win back the ball versus when they were just giving us space to play through. What what was also quite noticeable was that their deep block when we were in their third was quite centralized, meaning the entry to our wingers was always on and that killed them for both goals and led to a few more opportunities there in the early part of the game so i i think that was partly and partly them partly engineered by us right so yeah. i think from what i could see and obviously I, i'm not in the west ham dressing room i have no idea what's going on there but like it drew similarities to me to the very aggressive low and mid block that Everton used very effectively against us in the game at Goodison Park where they defended their box really resolutely like sat back compact all in the lines of their box but then when we got close to that they'd send packs of two or three players out to attack the man um, yeah. the problem is well, the the difference is w against West Ham, we used the off-ball movements of our attackers to draw their defensive line even tighter in still. So it wasn't even just a bank of four across the width of the 18-yard box. It was a bank of four inside half of the 18-yard box with a load of space over on the other side for players to attack. We saw that for the first goal where Saka Saka makes a run inside. He actually was they actually did have the ball that time, but he makes a run inside, dragging in Cresswell, plays the ball back to Erdegaard, ball goes through to Ben White in the channel of space made by bringing the back line in. At the same time as that, over on the other side, you've got Xhaka pinning Soufal in narrow, providing the space for Jesus to attack at the far post. Then again, for the second goal that we scored, it was a very similar movement, which allowed Erdegaard to have all that space at the back post again for his goal. So I, I think, yeah, it, it was partly that they were quite narrow to start with, but then we were really good at using our... Uh, using our movement off the ball to make them even narrower and open up the half spaces as just straight up wide spaces. Like there was no one outside there from West Ham perspective. They were all in the central area of the box. Yeah. Loads of space on the far post either side for us to make those chances. And a big reason we weren't able to just route them 10 nil is West Ham straight up stopped doing that. Like they weren't defending anywhere near as narrowly. They had more people spread out along their back line to stop us from picking up those white spaces so easily. Exactly, yeah. If you want to hear more about that, like, that, get a visual idea of that, I recommend going to check out 
Jack Elderton's Twitter. He's a West Ham fan who writes analytically about them and seeing his thread on the first goal was really useful for preparing for this pod. So go and check it out. I'll link it in the description to the pod. But when we go turn up within 10 minutes, it's reasonable to suggest that we are going to then try and see out the game in a relatively controlled manner. And we did take off for off the gas a little bit through the rest of the first half. Obviously, normally we have players like Zinchenko on the pitch to help us with that controlled possession. Um, this game we didn't because Zinchenko was out injured and instead we had Thomas Partey. We also saw Gabriel Jesus dropping in deep a lot during the first half. Like he was picking up those um, spaces in build-up that Zinchenko normally would alongside Partey in the double pivot. He's done that sometimes, like through the fluid rotations of the system, but this game he seemed to spend a lot more of his time there than usual. What did you make of that? I think it's a consequence of two things. One, just losing a controller there and having Jesus is probably the closest thing to that. I don't know if I would agree with that specification of him, but also just having someone there to occupy that zone when Tierney, who was inverting most of the time, but then usually gets back up and pulls out into the white space in the second phase, have someone there to occupy that zone. I'm I think it's a coach's instruction simply because Grant Xhaka would normally take up those zones, but he was the one who stayed higher up and created things there. I don't think we actually lost control that much after we went to now up. I think we, mm. but, but what happened was we were more than content with just playing safe and easy around the back and playing around them rather than trying to do anything in size like we did in the first half. And that, from everything Arteta said after the game, was not instructed. But rather just being content with the result and trying to just see it out in the way they tried to do, which didn't really work because A, we were just not doing much. Our attacking threat flatlined more or less after the second goal until they scored again. Um, and they were just dangerous on every turnover we gave them. Like they were immediately attacking the, the channels and both Gabriel and especially Holding, who also played a part in build-up not being as good as it normally has been, both struggled in those physical contacts. Yeah, I... I explained it badly earlier. That, that, that's what I mean by we took our foot off the gas. Yeah. Like, we were not going for them in the same way. And I think it's partly because West Ham tidied up their defensive structure, as we mentioned. So it was, there wasn't gaping holes for us to go and attack anymore. Um, and partly because, as you say, the players seemed almost content with 2-0 and didn't seem to want to put West Ham to the sword any further than they did. Do you think Jesus's dropping back was a factor in that? Do you think if he'd been further up the pitch more often, 
we would have seen more incisive attacking play? I'm not sure it's it was the biggest factor. It certainly was a bit of a factor, but we ended up still having our usual five men in the front line. And I, I think the main issue was a lack of progression through players just not comfortable in the roles they were receiving him like jesus wasn't always dropping deep he was doing it more than usual but he was also staying uh, pulling wide etc but what ended up happening is balls going out to holding who is not the best progressor of the football and tierney who ended up receiving in zones where his impact on ball is limited drastically especially compared to guys who actually thrive in those situations like azinchenko probably would do you think there was a solution then to this problem with the players we had on the field, or do you think this was just kind of always going to happen? Half and half. You, I have not come up with a solution yet of how we circumvent having Rob Holding there, who just had a bad game. Um, we could have gone more the structure of last season, where we do have Tierney consistently pulling wide and Shaka dropping into those zones who would give us a bit more progression there, but it would then also uh, change up our general structure that we've been rolling with the entire year. What also what also just uh, piled on the problems we've already had was just sloppiness from players that don't really show that. Like Gabriel was sloppier than usual, more off the ball than on it in physical contacts with, with uh, Michael Antonio, but then also having Thomas Party there who announced the game he was having after 22 minutes when, uh, 22 seconds, sorry, when he lost the ball in build-up by just not checking his shoulder correctly. And that theme carried on through most of the first half and second half. Speaking of Thomas Partey, I think this is a perfect segue into when we just gave West Ham a free ticket back into the football match by giving them the penalty, because this was a, I think it's fair to say, a moment of complacency from Thomas Partey, which led to Gabriel messing up which led to the penalty, which opened the game back up again and made it a contest again. So Partey receives the ball, checks his shoulder to see Declan Rice running at him, and then tries to do this. He tries to flick the ball over him, is like my only assumption. He like flicks yeah. the ball up. So like it, it looked like as if he's going to like flick the ball over him and then have control of the ball. It's on the either other side. he tries to flick the ball over him immediately, or he attempts to flick it into his hand and sort of tries yeah, or to like buy flick a it like there. around the corner yeah. or something. Like it's honestly pretty audacious. And if it came off, everyone would be like, "Wow, Thomas Partey, what an incredible piece of skill!" But what it also is is stupid because. It just the ball hits Declan Rice. Declan Rice has the ball now. Uh, ball to Paqueta. Penalty. Yeah, that's not good. And and it's a microcosm of my problems with having Tom's party as a pivot in this system, right? Like these risk rewards moments of him 
being overly sloppy slash relaxed on the ball to then wriggle out of pressure is part of his game. But being a pivot here shouldn't be about this, especially when you're two nil up. You should just play the ball backwards. The passing option to Gabriel was open. The passing option to Martinelli was open. Or you just take the foul, right? And these moments, together with his tendency to play vertical passes when they're not on and not just recycle possession, are the things that help us lose control in game states where we desperately need it. And this is why part of the reason I say that we should not go into next season with Thomas Partey as our main holding midfielder. Because you cannot have a player who is inconsistent in both performance and availability with the surrounding coverage that is around him in a position of such importance whose weaknesses are only shown up in situations like this, especially when you have your main controllers unavailable. Right? Like this was supposed to be the game where he takes on controlling responsibilities because both Sinchenko and Saliba weren't there. But what ended up happening is he, him having his sloppiest game and just playing Thomas Partyball as Thomas Partyball. We, th- this has been a real theme of the season. It's been a real theme of Arteta's time as Arsenal manager. He wants control in as many aspects of the game as he can, tactically, right? And so having Partey in there, who is not good at helping us control games from a winning position, doesn't make much sense looking forward if you want to find the ideal Arteta team. Like, yes, he is very good at controlling defensive transition moments, but also... We, the aim is for us to have the ball the majority of the time. And so if the majority of the time there's someone who could be better in that position, then it's probably, like, if we're looking for an ideal team, which at this point, like, at this point we are, given where we are in the league, what we need to do to improve, we'd need someone else in there. Exactly. Like, this is not an an attack on anybody, right? Like, look at the people we are criticizing here. Kieran Tierney, Rob Holding, and uh, uh, Tom's party. Like, a few years ago, we were complaining about Shkodran Mustafi and people of that ilk, right? Like, we're not saying these people are just objectively bad and we can't win football games with them. It's We need to grow past these people to be the best possible version of who we want to be. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the crux of it. If we want to be the team that we've said that we want to be in the last couple of weeks of the podcast, the team that's creating a dynasty in the next four or five years of Premier League football, consistently competing at this top level alongside against Manchester City, then we need to have a different player other than Thomas Partey at the base of our midfield, yeah. we think. And a smart club would genuinely do this. Well, 
these problems are noticeable, yes, but his stock, especially if we do end up winning something this year, would be high enough for him to have a market of getting something in return for him, especially considering the alternative to him is available in the market for us and from all the reports wants to join us. Quite possibly. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, if it's the one if it's the player who's played in midfield against us this week or the player who's gonna play in midfield against us next week, only only the Arsenal scouts know. But or the midfielder that just completely eventually. destroyed Chelsea. Who? Was Caicedo. Ah, yes. If we're gonna do an alternative DMs tangent, um what did you think of Rice this game? Um the big thing I thought was noticeable, um, given that we've talked in the past about how his biggest weakness in possession is receiving with his back to the rest of the field in early build up and then turning out. Yeah. Um West Ham's build up seems to be geared to giving Rice the ball in as deep a position as possible where he's looking out at the rest of the pitch. Yeah. Like, he drops in between the centre-backs, gets the ball with the entire pitch ahead of him, and then either passes or makes a run in the midfield, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. It's, it's the way a team works around issues that they're currently not fixing themselves, right? Like, I think most of Declan Rice's weaknesses in pivot play can be improved with half a season of coaching on a Mikel Arteta also basing off of what he's already done with people like Thomas Partey, mm. who were far less suited to this role just 18 months ago and were even more inconsistent, right? Like, But they, the way they're doing it is, is different and is good, especially considering where they currently are and what they need to do to not be relegated. Um, mm. And I think he had a generally really good game, right? Like he was keeping things ticking over and controlled his area to the best of his abilities. And in the second half, he was given a man-marking job on Martin Erdegaard, which he did with a plump, really. Like, Erdegaard could not get away with him, get away from him for the entirety of the 40 or so minutes he was on the pitch yeah. in the second half. Like, his physical presence is immense. Him in duels is 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 quite something, yeah. especially considering on the flip side, our main duel winners were really uncharacteristically sloppy. Like Thomas Party was noticeably sloppy in duels, I thought, and Gabrielle was having to do the worst job in football, which is defend Mikel Antonio in the channels after playing long balls to him. Like that's just not fun. Yeah, that's why we missed Saliba is that Mikel Antonio was having to do all of the defending on the retreat, which he doesn't enjoy doing, yeah. uh, as you could see by him. I, I think he was getting visibly more and more annoyed <laughs> at the defending that he was having to do yeah. over the course of the game. Like, he, he does not like defending on the retreat. Um, but but he was still doing it, it relatively fair, well, considering when, when yeah. it came to the other side... Holding in his second duel against Antonio almost gives away a penalty. Yeah, that was that that was not fun watching Holding get skinned by Antonio that easily. It was like, ugh, that's not good. <laughs> but let's rein in this tangent as it's pretty pretty smoothly brought us back around to what we want to talk about, which is the second half because 
from the moment that West Ham went got their first goal to the moment where they equalised, I don't think we were in real control of the game at all. It took until after they went after it was two all for us to kind of not snap out of it, but snap out of it almost and be like, right, actually we need to go and get a winner here if we're gonna do anything. Um and we had the chances. We had we had that ball flashed across the front by Tierney that Jesus was inches away from putting in the back of the net. We obviously had the penalty which Saka missed, but I don't I don't think that's worth talking about. No. Not really. No. Like players miss penalties. Yeah. Someone sometimes penalties go wide. That's fine. Um well it, it's not fine, but that's not <laughs> worth analysing on this podcast. In the 65th minute, we made our first changes. We brought off Jesus and we uh, and Partey and brought on Jorginho and Trossa. I imagine the amount of time we spent discussing Thomas Partey's performance in this game will make this little surprise to anyone, but we're both agreed here that Partey should have come off at halftime. Yeah, the way the second half turned out was announcing itself at the end of the first half, right? Like, after the goal they scored, West Ham immediately started to push up and press up on us and force duels and second balls and long throw-ins and winning corners and all that, right? And we were not getting out of it, partly because both of our deep operators were not making themselves available to just slow the game down and tidy it up. Both Partey and Tierney never really got themselves available anymore. So the thing you do here is before things get out of hand and you are in a situation where you're chasing a result, you should have just maybe tried to proactively create an environment where you're able to control the game more. And what happened then was it immediately showed once Jorginho and Bo- and uh, Trossard came on the pitch. Like, I- I- I've written this down here. Party played 76 minutes, had 50 touches and 40 passes on 87% accuracy. Once Jorginho came on, he played 23 minutes with 34 touches and 28 passes on 97% accuracy. So he has three-fourths of Partey's output in a third of his time. And that was simply down to him doing what Zinchenko would normally do, and that is position himself close to the ball and always creating an option to give the ball, take the ball, give the ball, take the ball. And that is what we missed during that spell when they were putting pressure on us and ended up creating a goal through a long throw, right? Where Gabriel was sort of weirdly orientating himself and let and run off him. So it wasn't even a like it was so it was a not even a long throw. It was a, a longish yeah, throw. A medium length throw. Uh which gets headed away by Gabriel, picked up by I think it's again Paqueta, and just dinked over. Tierney switches off. Like Tierney looks over his shoulder, sees that Bowen's there, and just kind of goes, eh. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden Bowen's in free at the back post and puts the ball past Ramsdale. Um, Ramsdale, I think, is unlucky to sa- n- unlucky not to save it. By the way, yep. he gets a hand to it, yep. but just not quite 
a strong enough palm to get it away from the goal. I'm sure Ramsdale will be looking bad at that, back at that, frustrated with himself. But I, I think Tierney should have been a little bit more switched on, personally. Yeah, I, I thought Gabriel was sort of weird in his orientation as well. But it's difficult, right? It's a relatively good counter movement they're doing. They were to pull out and mm. Bowen makes the other way, goes the other way around. Yeah, it's not 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 every day where your headed clearance comes immediately back at you like that normally like they try and bring the ball down and approach more patiently they just kind of went all right bunk straight over again exactly before Jorginho was on the pitch we really lacked and missed that controlling presence we talked about it in the Liverpool game about how everything because no one on the pitch for Arsenal was willing to really put their foot on the ball and calm us down. We were kind of being more direct than necessary, even while not really doing so, if that makes sense. So like yeah. in the first half, when 2-0 up, even while we weren't having that incisiveness into the box, we still weren't in control completely in the same way that you may like. And and once West Ham got their first goal, that was even more apparent, how we didn't have anyone to put the foot on the ball, let players get forward into more into better attacking positions. It was always, right, go. It was it became increasingly transitional, especially mm. in first half, start, second half. And it was sort of a conduit of two things where it they started sitting off after 2-2, and we were able to get ourselves back in it by Jorginho making himself constantly available. But that, that that's the problem with making the sub that late, is that you're sacrificing a transitional game that could have ended 3-2 for West Ham had we stuck by it. But you're taking away threat to the point where in the last 20 minutes or so, we weren't really able to create anything meaningful yeah that's that's also true we didn't not not having parte not having jesus meant that we just didn't create chances in the same way like as much as we've criticized parte's quick look diagonal balls out um they do help us create chances because on the occasions where they do work You've got um, a winger over on the other side in space. It shifts the opposition back line, can create space at the back post like it did for our first goal. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that we shouldn't have made the sub, right? Like the game state yeah. where we were in was heading towards West Ham getting a third. We needed to shore up the game. My criticism was not establishing control again when you're still in a leading position and being proactive. Like those Jorginho and Trossar subs were the most reactive things going because you're already in a bad position when you try to fix what's wrong. Taking what we've discussed um, over the last couple podcasts with our controlling issues and looking ahead to a very, very big few weeks of fixtures Zinchenko probably will be back next week um, he was listed only as having a tight groin and being pulled out of the squad as a precaution 
So hopefully he'll be back for Southampton. But if he's not, I think we have to start Jorginho in midfield against Southampton because, yeah, hopefully we can start the game with the same attacking vigour that we did against West Ham. But with Jorginho on the pitch from the start, I think we'd be able to control it a lot, lot better. And we need to have at least one of these controlling presences on the pitch. If Zinchenko isn't available, I think Jorginho needs to start. Um, but then we look ahead to Manchester City, which is a week Wednesday. Um, so a week today, as the podcast comes out, we will be recording a preview podcast for the City game. Um, that will be coming out on the 25th, the day before the pod. We will then record an On The Whistle podcast after the City match with our reactions live to the game. Um, do you start Jorginho against City? It's interesting because you're thinking not only about Jorginho at that point, right? Like, it's fine having Rob Holding there against Southampton and Hoosets and whatnots, though he's already showing his weakness against West Ham once they started to really get going. And in the last two games, we've seen Manchester City employ a thing where they're pumping the ball to Holland in the channels to fight with Saliba. And in the FA Cup, it was Holding who had to come off at halftime because he was just not winning those duels. <clears throat> so you have to think about, is there a way to circumvent that, right? Like if we have Sinchenko back at that point, you could have him coming in with Partey or Jorginho in the two pivots and then you could think about maybe having Kivior on the right of the central defense because that flips around oh, and yeah. he's basically playing centrally in a back three at that point, right? Like he's covered by both Gabriel and White. That's yes, the that only conceivable. <laughs> yeah, but at that point we were just sitting back in a, in a flat five, right? So. Yeah. Every option we have, if, as it looks currently, Saliba won't be back for City, every option is not ideal. So we have to maybe think about how we shape up in the least unideal way. The other option would just be playing Jorginho in, in the pivot and having Partey as a sort of right back with White pulling back into centre back. Like, these are the only sort of conceivable options we have to circumvent having holding there. I don't see a world in which Saliba is not back where holding does not start against City. It's depressing, but I also like, think so, I yeah. think, yeah, like, there's no way, uh, unless, uh, unless Arteta has taken some of Pep's um, magic magic making stupid changes before massive games source uh and decides to do something like parse it right back i don't see a way that it doesn't happen um i was more thinking from a control perspective i suppose in a way when we're going to sit well we'll talk about this when we're doing the proper city preview pod but when we're looking ahead to city we, we, we should be going that there with a must-not-lose perspective. And from a must-not-lose perspective, I think 
having Partey is probably better than having Jorginho from it because he's a he's a bigger plus in those defensive yeah. moments. Though also we we have to say that Jorginho played extremely well against City in the home home game where we were really controlling large parts of the game and ended up with something like 65% possession and could have conceivably won it had we not had a a massive prof, profligacy on the other end of the pitch. Um, but, but, but the thing is, which I find interesting, like we're talking about proactiveness in Mikel Arteta's team selection, both in selection itself and in uh, changes, right? Like w- everything Pep does, which we say is like overthinking or galaxy braining something, is just a normal, I'm thinking of a solution to a problem I'm currently having, right? Like Bernardo Silva at left back is a objectively weird thing, but it helped them bridge over the gap until they found the right balance because their current setup was just not working. And we have a situation where we are in a space where things just aren't working in certain moments. And instead of just sticking with the people we have assigned to certain roles, we could start to think about how we circumvent have making problems for ourselves because these are the guys we choose for these roles. Like this is the proactiveness I'm talking about when I'm saying Arteta could learn to do these things a bit more. I think City and Pep have almost earned their level of tinkeriness over the years and like there, are, there's a level of trust that Pep has in every single member of his squad to know the system to the level that they do, where he can try weird stuff like playing four centre backs and know that it's going to be absolutely fine because John Stones is going to push up and become a defensive midfielder, and that's just going to work to an incredible level. And I don't think we're there as a team to the, the point where we can start trying the complete left field stuff like that and just have faith that it's going to work to some extent. Yeah, I think I agree. The, the City game itself is just a very, very delicate thing, right? Like, we're in a position where we don't really know what is acceptable when we're going to the Etihad. Like, like a win would now f- it be far more important than it was a week ago where we were saying a draw would tide us over, right? Like, we're not just playing City, we're playing three relatively challenging games afterwards, and a draw would then just set us up to have a need to be perfect in the subsequent games. So striking a balance there of how we approach these games is going to be extremely interesting to see. But this isn't the City preview. <laughs> we are going to be recording that at the weekend. You can listen to that on Tuesday. Um, so let's look ahead to this weekend and Southampton. Southampton are not very good. Uh, they play to a fine level, uh, but Bazunu in goal has been one of the worst, if not the worst, starting keeper in the league throughout the year. Which is sad to say, because um, he, he, he seems fun. He's popular among circles in which we frequent, is Gavin Bazunu, but 
He's objectively not been a very good goalkeeper for Southampton this year. It's a shame that we don't have Alex Collings this week because he's watched a lot of Southampton and I'm sure he would have had a lot of thoughts. But what do you think our approach should be for this game? Because I think, for me, we, regardless of if Sinchenko's back, we should drop Partey for Jorginho and just have that level of control from the start. I completely agree with that sentiment. Like, playing against Southampton is not the hardest challenge in the world. They they play from what I've seen. I've seen them a few times recently against Spurs and Manchester City and so on. They have a relatively well-organized press they use. They have some really good outlets, especially in Kamaldin Sulemana. Their starting goalkeeper is 21 years of age, which in a relegation battle just isn't conducive to stability let's call it which runs throughout the team like their incessance on youth blooding in in a period where they're unstable has sort of added to them not being consistent enough to not be in a relegation battle and currently be dead last like hiring nathan jones has gone a long way in making that worse but their squad building has also sent them there somewhat um, so I'm not too pessimistic on it. They're not as good as West Ham in just getting a result against a big team because their youth inconsistency and also just not having the amount of outlets and good on-ball players that a West Ham, for example, have. I don't want to sit here and talk shit about a team I haven't watched loads of, loads of to be honest. So... We will leave it there, um, I think. Um, unless you want to do a prediction for the score of the Southampton I'm not doing game. predictions. Um, I know, Alex. I don't do predictions. God damn it. <laughs> I will reach for my trivia book then and try and find the question. Which one of these Arsenal goalies spent only 12 months with the club? A. Richard Wright. B. Vito Minoni. C. Stuart Taylor. D. Alex Manninger. Ma- Manninger. Maninga, I'm not sure. God. That is so far out of my... This is the hardest question I've <laughs> asked. Like, 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 just random goalkeepers? I just flicked to a page and this was the question that was there, so... I think Vito Minone spent more than one season there. Who were, who, who were the last two? So, Richard Wright, Vito Minone... Stuart Taylor or Alex Manninger slash Meninger, I'm not sure how to pronounce yeah, that. Yeah, I don't even know the last two, so I'm going to go with C. Incorrect. The answer was A, Richard Wright. Oh. There we go. Finally, the book has won. <laughs> uh, and on that note, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Seb for being here. You can find him on Twitter at Eulenberg underscore. You can also find the podcast on Twitter. We are at PotShotPod. Make sure you leave us a like and a review and all of those good things. The music was made by James Blake. You can find him on all good music platforms at JWBlake. We will see you next week for a preview of the City game. Thank you very much for listening.